come and tell the story that we have in Genesis 27. So if you'd like to listen to her, I'm going to get this, this microphone set up and the other one turned off in a minute. Green is on. It's a long chapter and it's a bit complex, so I thought we'd just do it slightly different and do it in story fashion. Is on. Yes, right. Yes. No, 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 don't hold it. Just, uh, because you might need to use your hands. <laughs> okay, right. So um, I think most people know the story about Rebecca and about Jacob and Esau. But uh, strangely enough, Rebecca was barren just like Sarah, but Isaac prayed for her. And the Lord told her when she was struggling to give birth that the older son would serve the younger. So Jacob was born holding on to Esau's heel. But I wasn't quite sure how that would happen when she was giving birth, but I didn't go down that route because I thought it was a bit too complicated. So, so now we come to the time when Isaac is old and it says his eyes were dim. So I imagine that he probably was blind because Rebecca was able to deceive him. Now, Esau had already sold his birthright in the past when he wanted something to eat quick. So he'd already sold his birthright, and the Lord had already told her that the older one would serve the younger one. And, but now, Esau wants, um, Isaac wants to give Esau his blessing. So he t tells him to go out and to get him a nice pot of nice game that he liked. And we look in this family, and all I can see is a divided family, that there's Isaac and Esau, and on the other side, there's Rebecca and Jacob. And so it's going to be trouble, and trouble it was. So while um, Isaac is telling um, Esau to go and get him some game, Rebecca's listening. She's eavesdropping, and she hears what's saying. So she hatches a plan. And she decides that she will try and get um, Jacob the blessing. But God had already said. But she, di she didn't uh, want to trust that. She wanted to do it her own way. So, but Jacob went along with it. He didn't say, oh, no, Mum, you mustn't do it. But he went along with it. So she tells Jacob to go and get a couple of goats. I don't know whether goat tasted different to venison. I'm not sure. I don't think I've tasted either, but... Um, so Jacob went and got some, uh, some goats and Rebecca made a nice meal and in they went to Isaac and of course she puts the goat hairs on his arms because Esau was a hairy man and Joseph was a smooth man so it was all part of the deception and, but Isaac, he knew what God had said but he, was, but he still was going to give Esau the blessing. So, but he knew God had said that the younger would serve the older. But, but Isaac, no, he was going to give um, the blessing to Esau. So in comes Jacob, and he gets blessed. And if we just turn to verse 26, he gives him the blessing. He said, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven 
and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Jacob steals the blessing, but he only just gets away with it because Esau comes in. And as soon as Esau realizes, um, as Isaac realizes when Esau comes into him for the blessing, it says that Isaac trembled violently because he realized what's happened. But Esau also wants a blessing. But he did get one, but it wasn't quite what he expected. And in verse 39, it said, Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hates Jacob and plans to kill him after Isaac has died. But I think that Esau knew Rebekah was behind it all, I'm sure, because they seem to be a divided family. So Rebekah has another plan, and she sends Jacob away to her brother Laban, but it's on the pretext that she didn't want him to marry a Hittite wife because they were bothering her. And that is the story in a nutshell. You can do it so much better than I can. Let's turn this one off, shall we? Well, we have a complex story here. Jacob and Esau, as Margaret said, yes, it was divided, a fragmented family, and <clears throat> had one with many problems. Interestingly, um, we've been looking at Corinthians recently and learning about bodybuilding and how we build the body as a church. And, um, and Steve reminded us that um, this was no easy church, the church at Corinth, and that was a fragmented family too. And it had its, its in-house in problems. And um, I, see, I see some correlation here between what was going on in this family, Jake, in Isaac's family. There seemed to be uh, fragmented situations and mistrust. And it's a very complex family. And, um, you know, just think of the, some of the things that were going on. There was favoritism, irritation, resentment, control, rivalry, manipulation, partiality, hate. Each one seemed to be a threat to the other. It was obvious lack of harmony and trust amongst them. If we read the details of the story, that doesn't seem very colourful family. In another sense it's colourful, but in another sense why would God use a family like this? Looking back on it as Christians we say, well as we look back on the Corinthian church we say, was it a church really? With all the in-house problems and dishonour to God in places and uh, the way they treated each other, the division that was in that church. And we looked at that, but it didn't stop God's plan and purposes going forward. And uh, sometimes churches become like this today. We will get differences. We have all, all the things that I read just now will sometimes occur in churches. And last week, uh, David reminded us of Isaac 
um, reopening the wells that had been blocked up and, um, and linked that with the wells of fruitfulness that uh, in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit we can live fruitful lives, you know, and Satan will seek to block the wells so that they dry up so that you can't get the water. Jesus, when speaking to the Samaritan woman, he said, what I give you will be like a well of water within you springing up into eternal life. And I find that's extremely colourful, extremely telling, you know. It speaks of life, which is not just life, it's more than life. More than life. And I want to tell you where I'm going, because I want to just jump over to the New Testament out of this story and to, um, and to remind us of what Paul said on several occasions to different Christians in different locations if you like he was talking about the flesh and the spirit and one of the things he said about the flesh and the spirit is that they trouble one another there's conflict going within us when we're christians there's conflict going us because we want to do what is right we want to have more we want to get to a better place than we are now and yet something seems to be irritating us and, and holding us back but still, the road is to fruitfulness, gaining more of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to run through these characters in this story, and um, there will be things in them which we can maybe identify with. Um, in church, in life, maybe in our own lives, I don't know. Isaac, he seems to have lost the plot and run out of steam. There is a change in the Isaac we saw last week, full of faith he was, peacemaker, which seems here to have degenerated due to his ageing process and loss of sight. But there is more, his spiritual sharpness seems to have gone into default, what works for me. That's a danger area in the Christian life. Sometimes we default to what works for me best rather than what God wants. What suits my temperament? What suits my thinking? What I'm used to? What we did in our last church? You know, what defaults? But the whole point about it is, for Isaac, he no needed to have lost his spiritual sharpness due to age. You know where I'm going with this. We're a church, many elderly, large. I just don't, I don't want to slag off any younger people, Julian. Um, but for older people, this is a danger area too, isn't it? The danger is to lose your spiritual sharpness because of age. I talked about walking in the flesh, what Paul reminded the Christians of. He also talked about walking by the Spirit. And it's this I want to talk about this morning, is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. But here we go. Isaac seems to have degenerated. He seems to be moving more in his flesh now than he was last week. Yeah? I don't know if you run with that, but uh, it seems like that to me. He was a child of promise. He was born by nature and beyond nature. A special gift from God. It was said in his seed all nations of the earth would come to be blessed. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? He is one man, he's lost his sharpness, spiritual sharpness, and yet 
rightfully in him, by the covenant of God, he was going to be the means of generations coming after him who would find Jesus Christ as saviour and know salvation, know the fullness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he was key. His family was key. God had chosen them. You say, why does God do things like that? Well, it shows his grace. God always wanted to work with mankind. And he never threw that out the window. He still does. I mean, God could control this earth by his own power and his own might, but he wants to work with people. He wants to demonstrate all that he is and all that he can be through people. And that's so amazing because God has not rejected mankind. He's promised and given us hope. And this hope was actually key to be brought forth through this family and other families following after them. So they were a key family, and yet we find them fragmented. Isaac is also a patriarch. He's an ordinary man put in place by God to receive from God, hold on to the things he received from God, and to pass on to others the mandate of hope. That same that same design is for us too. In a sense, we're all patriarchs because we've received from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We hold on to that truth and the power of that truth and we want to pass it on to others. So in that sense, we're all patriarchs. We're also in the process of blessing others through what we have. He was a patriarch. But he now pursues what should have been a very special occasion in secret when it should have been a united time when they all agreed as a family in celebrating upon the firstborn the blessing of God to carry on the mandate of God. And yet, what do we find him doing in secret? We, do it, we find him doing it for the sake of a meal, not because God said and so his motivation was, in a sense, way off course. But you see, my point here is that Isaac had sort of degenerated because of his age. And his spiritual sharpness seemed to be going as well. He is also going to covet a cheap attention from his favourite son for one meal. Sometimes we covet cheap attention by trying to impress people name-dropping and things like that. But this was slightly different. He was trying to covet a little bit of it. It seems that he almost seems that he may have lost it within his family. He'd lost that honorability and that recognition, which may have been his own fault. We don't know. But he seemed to be losing that. But however, a cheap attention from his favorite son. But he was also disinheriting Jacob by doing this. Going against God's word, he was disinheriting Jacob because what he had to say over whoever was prophetic and powerful and truth. That's the way God had arranged it. And this time of blessing the firstborn was very key in the culture in those days. Now the ageing process would come upon us, every one of us, as it did with Isaac but the details of this story indicate a spiritual decline too, but that doesn't need to affect us, all of us, as we get older. Because what we come to in a minute is living by the flesh, we can live 
by the power of the Spirit. That's the stronger, that's more important. Let's look at Rebecca. She organizes an elaborate scheme, plotting by deception, attempting to sort it. And sometimes within churches, you get key people sometimes who want to sort it. And so they muscle in. Yeah? Beware of that. Beware of it. It's not a condemnation, it's just how we are. But you know, God has a way of working things out if we leave it up to him. Don't listen to mother. Maybe a key thing for some people. Mothers have very good intentions for their children, but sometimes they push them too far. So there's a little little word. Don't listen to mother, Jacob. Be careful who you listen to and acknowledge what the word of God said as to be far more important. Perhaps a once meaningful relationship with Isaac had degenerated too. It seems communication between them seems not to be happening. Isaac was doing something secretly, and she was doing something secretly and deceitfully. And so it seems communication has seemed to be broken down between them. Don't let, within church, don't let communication break down. We have a tremendous privilege of getting on with each other here in this church, but we need to keep the unity through the bond of peace with one another. If we need to say something, talk to the elders, talk to each other, but don't say it in a quiet corner as a complaint or a condemnation. Don't do it deceitfully. Be open and share. So this story really has implications for individuals, but also for church. We see individuals in this story, but together they are really a family, but they're not acting as a family. She is not happy with Esau, and she's rejecting him too. In pushing Jacob forward, she's saying, I don't want him to be part of this rejection. And sometimes in our thinking and our psyche, we can be partial like this too. Church should be a place where there's no impartiality. No partiality, I mean. So that we're impartial and we have love for one another. In some circumstances, don't listen to mother but hear the word of God. Let's look at Jacob. His name means supplanter. What does this really mean? I didn't know what it means, so I tried to look at it a little bit. He complied with family life. He outwardly submitted to life at home. He didn't make a fuss. He went with the flow. But the meaning of the word underneath, that he was not only deceitful, but he was trying to be something that he wasn't. He was a phony. He had phony characteristics. He went through the motions. And when mother said, do this, he did it. You know, even though it was the, right, the wrong way of going about the right thing. So be careful who gives us advice. Be careful who we go to to listen for advice. 
Let's look at Jacob. Oh, we all are, aren't we? What God had already revealed the future outcome about Jacob, Isaac could have in his thinking rejected him because as a mummy's boy, he couldn't identify with him as being entirely different than he was. In other words, you know where I'm getting at. Let's, let's take just a, a man who's in the army. He's, he's a commander, and um, his son doesn't like the army. He doesn't like fighting. Come on, stop being a mummy's boy. Pull yourself together, you know. And he, he, he berates him so often because he's different than what he is. This is a danger in a family too. When a son is berated for not being like his father. And so you almost see, see Isaac rejecting, rejecting uh, Jacob for the person to bless. You say, I can't have this boy of mine receiving the blessing. He's no leader. He's not got no prophetic gifting. You know, he, he, he can't do the job he's meant to do. He can't do the job that I'm doing. No. You almost see him rejecting him to be the person to take it on. And I expect when Steve took over, there was people who didn't think he was the right leader. I don't know. Maybe some did. And the outcome of that will be seen, really, whether that truth works out. But we believe he is. We believe God set him aside to be the person to take on the mandership of lead elder in this church. But the danger is there, isn't it? And so, and this sort of curse, if you like, over a father's son has driven many young men into same-sex relationships. So we have to be careful how we treat people. Father always berating his son, come on, be a man and grow up. Do your stuff. Go out there and fight. Go out and hunt the animals. Go out and do this. Do it as I did it. And then you'll be a man. And that sort of attitude of a father over his child can drive them further. It can be a curse. So as we look at this family, you see, we see it fragmented and with many difficulties. It was grit in your shoes to Isaac. It's a crucial stage in his life. His, you know, Jacob is willing to be duped and led astray by his mother, however good the intentions. The future mandate of God's worldwide blessing is to fall on his shoulders, and it looks as if it is going to his brother Esau. The purpose of God looks as if it will be thwarted. Prompted by his mother, he avoids truth, pursues the immediate future based on lies. You know, we could be in many situations in life and we can avoid the truth and follow the future based on lies. This is Satan's work. David referred to it last week. What is Satan, what does he want to do to us as Christians? He wants us to avoid truth and he wants us to move forward based on lies. Jesus said he was a liar 
from the beginning. So be careful, again, who we listen to, because this is a trap. We will hear voices. They may be based on the, pe the person we are, and that's when it's important to come back to the Bible, to the Word of God. That's when it's important to come back to prayer, because we need to seek God's heart and mind within us. These events of blessing that went on within these families was tied up with the birthright. The firstborn would receive the blessing. They were prophetic. They were extremely important. And God was entirely in on the occasion when the families called forth favour for life and godliness shaping the future for them. That the hope that could be found in God might be worked out to the families that God chose in the earth, coming down right to Jesus. And he was the one. That's who it was all pointing to, in whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. So these times were extremely important. Not to be done in secret, a time of united agreement that this was God's choice. He was the man. He was the honoured one, the firstborn of the family. But they were going round the back door. God had intended Jacob to be the one, but Esau seemed to be getting it. Let's just look at Esau for a minute. Now, I'm being critical about these characters because they will help us just a little bit later on, because in actual fact, they weren't actually moving in the way that God wanted them to move, and they were doing it their own way. That's what it's like walking, continuing our lives in the power of the flesh and not in the power of the Spirit. And although the Holy Spirit wasn't known in the same way then as he is today through knowing Jesus Christ, it was still the, the key thing was still important, that they followed God's way. Esau is called a man of the field, meaning not only a hunter, but a man with unbridled personality. A man of the field. It had those two connotations about it. A good hunter, but you know he was a bit ruthless with it. Unbridled personality. He did what he wanted, when he wanted. That was this sort of character. Maybe God foresaw this in, uh, in Esau's character, and that's why it was Jacob who was to be the man for the time. He conveniently forgets what he did in selling his birthright for a moment of passing pleasure and seizes an opportunity to magically get it back. But he was unable as he traded it away on oath. He traded away his birthright on oath. You know, there's this interesting, very sad statement about the Jews in Jesus' day when he, was hand, when he was being crucified. They said, away with this man, we will not have him to reign over us. Trading away their birthright, they gave it away. Trading away their hope in Jesus, they were almost saying, yeah, we don't, it's a bit like Esau, really. Trading away their birthright. But Jesus was the one to bless the nation 
and the individual. So what in real terms had he done, had Esau done? I don't believe in all this connection with dead ancestors. That was then, this is now. I don't belong here, I want out. I want to live my way, I don't want the responsibility. Now as Christians, as believers, you know, we do want to key in and connect with what happened in history. That's what we're doing this morning. We're connecting with this story. We can't say, I don't want anything to do with dead ancestors because here was the hope of God being worked out in this family in a most unusual and complex way by the grace of God. We can't say, I want out. I want to live my way. I don't want the responsibility. When we put our hands up to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I take you as my saviour. I want to follow you. We're actually connecting in to all that he wants, all that he has done, saying, I want to belong. I don't want out. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way. I want the responsibility of being a child of God, living your way. That's just a few things about the characters in the story. Paul said to the early, Christ, early church Christians, don't walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. So the key point about my message this morning is covet the blessing. Covet the blessing. The blessing is, for this morning, in actual fact, the Holy Spirit. Covet the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he can do. When Paul says walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, it means we receive him to act in our lives. What is the, in real terms, what is the difference here? It's, it's not an easy verse to understand when he talks about walking in the flesh. It's like this. I don't now want to operate on my own. Everything I am and everything I do now is submitted to the overall plan and purpose of God. The Holy Spirit has unique ways of helping reminding, showing us in light of our past, our present and future, he is also affirming us as firstborn children of God, each one of us, that's a different understanding, isn't it? That when we become a child of God, we come as if we're the firstborn child of God. Not just any son or daughter, we become, God accepts us and makes us the firstborn, the one to gain the inheritance. So each of us are firstborn children of God this morning. We have a right to the inheritance. We have been given spiritual authority in our lives. We've been given a new power by the Holy Spirit to live our lives differently. It's a new way. It's a blessed way. And so covet the blessing. If you're not feeling you want more this morning, if you're not feeling you want to get further with God, then forget it. But I just want to challenge you this morning. Covet the blessing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this comes to us in three ways. More than three, actually, but I want to pick out three this morning. <clears throat> the first major thing is the Holy Spirit himself. 
I've spoken to people before, and I said, I don't seem to be getting anywhere with this Holy Spirit thing. So I said, said to them and prayed with them, have you sort of received the Holy Spirit as you sort of did Jesus? I said, I can't back it up theologically, but you need to intentionally say to the Holy Spirit, would you come into my life? I want just to accept your leading and guiding. I want to do it your way, not my way anymore. I want you to be placed in my life. That's being intentional about it. And we receive his power and his presence. I just want to read you a few words from Acts. Some of us might say, oh, not, it's just not for me. And I don't see any need of it. I believe that's enough for me. I have faith that's enough for me. But it actually isn't. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. When Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost... The people responded because what he said was so powerful and important. And this, this is an account of that. When the people heard what Peter was saying, he was talking about Jesus and why he'd been raised from the dead and now he'd sent his Holy Spirit. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the verse, verse 30. The promise is for you and all your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Notice the word all. The Holy Spirit is given for all and universally available. It doesn't mean to say he's for some here and some there and everywhere. The Holy Spirit is for all. For all. That means each one sitting here this morning. The Holy Spirit is for you. He's for me. And we can't go very far without him. So, the Holy Spirit. Covet the blessing. Now I just want to read the verses in Ephesians 1, which are so, so important here. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Covet the blessing. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Walk in the Spirit, in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ." 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. These are the important verses. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked in him with a seal, that is a promised Holy Spirit. Who is deposit guaranteeing our inheritance you get the connection with the firstborn son. The inheritance was to come to the firstborn son, and we are firstborn children of God. Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Covet the blessing. Don't say like some people said in the church in Corinth to the other members, I have no need of you. The hand says to the foot, I have no need of you. And some people, we say this about the Holy Spirit, I have no need of you. Okay, the Holy Spirit, his power and presence. The second thing is assurance. This is so important in the Christian life. Covet the blessing. I felt the Lord impressed this upon me this morning as an important part, is having that full knowledge and confidence, and we're actually convinced in here that we are God's children, we're saved. And the test question could come to us this morning, or at some time, it's key, isn't it? If God asks you the question, why should I let you into heaven, why should I accept you, what would your answer be? Are you actually sure what your answer is? Do you actually know? Do you have a confidence that you're a child of God? Are you confident that you're going to be with him for eternity? Are you confident about that? Can you say with absolute certainty, I know? And I feel there's some doubt about that this morning. I wish it wouldn't keep troubling me. I don't really know. I seem to be in a little bit of a quandary about whether I'm a child of God or not. Covet the blessing of the Holy Spirit who will give to you, the, if you're a believer, covet the Holy Spirit to give to you the confidence that you need to stand before God. You can stand before anyone here and say yes, but to stand before God is a different thing. I have in my belt what I need to come in with you. I have the answer here, and that's Jesus. But it's this verse, isn't it? This wonderful, amazing verse, what the Holy Spirit does. He does something supernaturally and wonderful that nobody else can do for us as much as we remonstrate with people and our, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. That's why we need to covet the blessing because he gives us that assurance. It's supernatural, like faith is. True faith is supernatural. And we can't find it in the dictionary. We can't find it in the universities. We can't find it in our reasoning. But it's only the Holy Spirit that can give us that confirmation 
His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Wonderful. Supernatural. Amazing. And I just want to challenge you, have you got that this morning? Because you may not have. I felt that there was someone here that probably hadn't. Assurance is a Bible word. <laughs> a very important one. And lastly, the promises. Covet the blessing. Know them and live in the good of them. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. What's that mean? They're not mere words to recite. Very often you get promise boxes. And people take one out a day and they read the promise and they recite it. And it goes back in the promise box. Might be even in a different place, I don't know. But what does that matter? But the promises of God are not mere words to recite, but ways to experience the power of God working for us in his kingdom. In Jesus, they are now substance, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are both believable and workable. So how can we see this? Like this. If when I die and return to dust, which I will, unless Jesus comes, I will get a better body and life back again, the same individual that I was. Is that a promise that you can hold on to and that you believe? It's true. We return to dust, the amazing supernatural work of God manifest in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Even though his body didn't see decay, we would. But the Bible gives us this hope that one day God will take that dust again as he did with when he made Adam and make it into a wonderful, amazing person. So much better than we was. All the newness, all the wonder, all the love of a new creation. That's a promise. Covet the blessing. The Holy Spirit can impress this upon us, the hope that's in there. The peace of God, the promises. You know, the peace of God can be one of the best supernatural experiences to have on this earth, even in the most devastating situations. You can't get it anywhere only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Amen. Amen. You can't. It's supernatural. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Covet the blessing. If we have lived our lives that we now are ashamed of, and I am so very often, the Holy Spirit can restore our well-being and give us nobility. Through knowing Jesus Christ, we are people with a nobility. We have a treasured and unique past. We have a treasured and unique future and who we are now is so important to God. Kings and priests, I think, is one of the terms that you use about Christians, or a kingdom of priesthood, I don't know, whichever, either can be true. But he's made us kings and priests. Nobility. And so if we're ashamed, and we, that carves us up. In 1 Peter 2, verse 6, we read, whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. What does that mean? 
It could mean it means that on the day we can stand before God shamefacedly without nothing against us. All our sin has been dealt with and God receives us. But it also has other connotations too because it means that Jesus has taken all our shame. When he died on the cross, that was a shameful thing for a man so wonderful and important to die on that cross. But he took your shame and mine. And sometimes he takes, most, mostly he takes that shame away. Does It doesn't carve us up or affect us or anybody else. You know, he deals with it and dealt with it. Shame. As we saw in our family, the biggie was conflict. There was conflict within the family. And I just want to talk just quickly as I close. Conflict will arise in families, whether it's a church family or whether it's our own natural families. Rivalry, resentment, arguments, and we need the wisdom of God to know how to handle it. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The Holy Spirit is able to show us, he's able to show us ways of working it out. Can I just say covet the blessing this morning? Covet the blessing. Some things may have touched you, I don't know. Do we feel the Holy Spirit has touched you just to... We have a ministry team this morning who's sensitive and just want to pray with you on situations. I read a book once by Yongi Chow and it's called The Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner. I've been a self-employed man now for, since the 1970s, and uh, in my work and in my life, I've needed and known someone alongside me, especially in a working environment. I've known someone working for me in a situation that I couldn't control, and I've known it. That, that book spoke to me. It's like having... You know, a business partnership, they're supposed to all work together for the good of the company and a sense of equality about it. But um, I've known the Holy Spirit do things amazing for me in my work situation and my life situation. He's like that. The Holy Spirit, my senior pastor. Or partner, I think was the word. Who <laughs> Who won? Let's pray.